This is the Killer Babes Podcast. I'm Kirby. And I'm Katie. We are the Killer Babes. Tell them what we do, Kirby. We go to places in New England because we are a New England podcast and we find out what's paranormal, what's spooky, what's not paranormal. And we also do true crime. Yes. Anything that we think is interesting in the New England area. And like Kirby said, we go when we can. We report back what we find. It's a great time. If I do say so myself, we usually stop for some brews. Oh, Along yeah. with the booze. Very usually. Check us out. We have season one and we are in two episodes of season two. So we have a lot of great stuff for you guys to go listen to. Yes. And check us out on Instagram and Facebook, Killer Babes Podcast, Twitter, Killer Babes Pod, or email us at killerbabespodcast at gmail.com. Before we get going, got to give a huge shout out to new Patreon supporters. Got to thank Teddy, Jolie Reeves, Lori Hedges, and Peggy Miskey. Thank you all so very much for your generous pledges. And as everybody uh, who follows my Facebook page knows, there are big changes coming to Patreon on January 1st. It's not across the board. It's just my show. I have acquired some research help, and you will be getting two mini episodes a month and then a full-length episode as well. Every month, uh, the tiers are going to change a little bit because of this help. And, uh, this, uh, my friend Lindsay is actually going to help me stay on track to make sure you guys get the episodes as well. Because, uh, you know, I got to do a little bit better for you on that. And sometimes I get overwhelmed and she, she's willing to help me out with that. So, uh, there are changes coming January 1st. But until then, I hope you guys are enjoying, uh, the Patreon bonus episodes and Sammy the Bull Gravano part two will be out this week as well. So that should be pretty exciting to see how all that ended up until I suppose next time on with the show. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment. Maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited, adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now and if not... Just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. A phenomenon that many have experienced, but no one can explain. Those who experience stigmata develop wounds to their wrists, hands, head, feet, and ribs, similar to those inflicted on Jesus Christ at the time of his crucifixion. These wounds often come with no warning, and not only do they seem never to heal, but in some cases the wounds of stigmata repeat annually. Visions of Christ's crucifixion and the experience of his deep sorrow are also associated with the wounds of Christ. 2,000 years ago, a man suffered an agonizing death. Nails were driven through his hands and feet, a spear pierced his side, and a crown of thorns was forced upon his head. The injuries and suffering of Jesus Christ have been known to manifest themselves in ordinary men and women. It's the phenomenon called the stigmata. The person who experiences this is believed to be suffering literally the anxiety and the wounds of Christ as he was crucified. Alright everybody, welcome to this episode. I do have to thank Casey for suggesting this episode and then researching, helping me research it, and presenting it all in one big story form. So thank you, Casey. So the main questions we have to ask ourselves, for those of you who are not familiar, what is stigmata? Alright, stigmata is a term used by people of the Christian or Catholic faith which describes marks, wounds, and or sensations of pain that match the crucifixion wounds of Jesus Christ. These wounds present in the hands, wrists, and or feet, 
Uh, other wounds may present themselves as well, such as bleeding from the forehead as though a crown of thorns have pierced the individual's skin, and or a stab wound in the side may also be another symptom that is presented of the stigmata. It has been reported that scourge marks can be visible on the backs of a stigmata experiencer that are compared to the scourge marks left on the back of Christ. And it's said that sometimes the symptoms of stigmata can also be uh, referred to as invisible stigmata. And what this all is, is the sufferer will not visibly show signs of stigmata, but will feel pain where wounds would usually be seen. The word stigmata originates from the Greek word stigma. It means mark, tattoo, or brand. The stigmata is also known as the five wounds or the sacred wounds of our Lord. In some cases of stigmata, the wounds sustained by sufferers never seem to fully heal, but they do not become infected and the blood released from the wounds is always fresh. In other cases of stigmata, it is said that the blood from the wounds has a pleasant odor, described as the odor of sanctity, which is the smell of jasmine. Many stigmata show periodical bleeding that may sometimes stop and start after receiving Holy Communion. Some stigmata experiencers may begin to bleed on a Thursday night and will continue to bleed until Friday afternoon. This period of time is traditionally related to the time of Christ's own passion. Other experiencers bleed on specific feast days such as uh, Lent or Holy Prayer Days, it is interesting to note that it is believed by experts that genuine stigmata experiencers not only seep their own blood from the wounds, but they also seep Christ's blood as well. There is actually two different blood types coming from their wounds. Now that brings us to another big question, who experiences stigmata? Those suffering from or bearing the wounds of stigmata are referred to as stigmatists or stigmatics. Stigmatists describe the experience as divine or mystical. The most widely reported individuals who have experienced stigmata are members of the Catholic faith, but there are some stigmatists from other churches, including the Baptist and Anglican <laughs> I hate saying that word, Anglican faith as well. Now, 70% of experiencers of stigmata come from Italy. In some cases, it's been found that a number of stigmatists receive the stigmata at age 33, which is the age that Jesus Christ was said to have died. It has been found that Possibly 80 to 85 percent of stigmatists are women, and only 41 males have been reported to experience stigmata. There have been over 500 cases of stigmata reported. In all, 321 cases have been accepted as true stigmata, and 62 of those people have been sainted. The first documented case of stigmata occurred on September 14, 1224, to St. Francis of Assisi. I hope that's how you pronounce it. A-S-S-I-S-I. Originally, it is believed that St. Paul was possibly the first person to experience stigmata. Now in Galatians 6.17, Paul writes, quote, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. End quote. However, that seems to be the only quote-unquote proof uh, we have on the case of St. Paul, but perhaps the most famous case of stigmata happened to Padre Pio, which is seriously an interesting case. It really, really is. It's kind of been debunked, which we'll, you know, possibly get to, or you can, you know, definitely research on your own time. Now, it's said that those who experience stigmata that are involved with religion pray and want fervently to bear this miracle. Like, they actually want to experience stigmata. They desire it. Uh, they, they want to experience the suffering, suffering of Christ so that they may connect with him and their suffering will benefit others. Other phenomena can be present in stigmatics, such as visions, channeled messages, automatic writing and drawings. Uh, they also claim to sweat blood or have a blood seeping from their eyes like tears. And yes, there are pictures of some of this stuff online as well. I mean, old pictures from like the 30s, 40s, and 50s and stuff. 
Now, the diagnosis of stigmata, when it comes to all that, like the diagnosis, bishops are responsible for investigating it in their uh, diocese. The church takes a very critical and thorough look at distinct cases before confirming someone has a genuine case of stigmata. Now, when the church does approve of a stigmata case, they uh, they believe that it is God's grace granted to few saints and that stigmata is a physical manifestation of Christian mysticism. Keep in mind, okay, that when the church acknowledges a phenomenon as legitimate, they credit the phenomenon, but in no case do they put forward the belief as a religious dogma or doctrine of faith. Now, here is a list of some of the criteria that the church uses to determine whether or not someone is experiencing genuine stigmata. All symptoms and signs of stigmata appear at the same time. The stigmata wounds are the same places as Christ's wounds. The wounds appear spontaneously while the person is praying in exultation. They cannot be explained by natural occurrences. They do not decay into necrosis. They do not give off a bad odor. The wounds do not become infected. And despite treatment, the wounds remained unchanged. They cause a serious alteration of body tissues. The wounds do not close completely and immediately. They are accompanied by extreme moral and physical suffering. The lack of pain is a cause for doubt. The entire life of the person experiencing stigmata is studied, all right? I mean, they go back. This person must be a person who practices Christian ethics gallantly, specifically their love for humility and the cross. Besides thorough medical and theological studies that are done, the church must scrutinize the person's lifestyle. The lifestyle in which the person lives must show certain habits. They are as follows. Obedience to all of the church's instructions, spiritual soundness, charitable work, the way he or she lived his or her religious life in the community, doctrinal allegiance in his or her ministry, moral sufferings are to be bore patiently, he or she must bear spiritual strength through the stigmata, as well as persecution from others for 50 years. Now, like I said, there's a huge criteria to be actually considered a stigmatist or a stigmatic, okay? It's it's not just something, oh, you got a little blood on your hands. Oh, yeah, we're going to make you a saint. You experienced a stigmata, you know? It's That's not the case, okay? So, one of the most famous cases is that of Padre Pio. And, and this is uh, a little bit about Padre Pio's early life. His real name was Francisco Forgione, 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 uh, F-O-R-G-I-O-N-E, Forgione. I think that's how you say it. Um, his parents were Giuseppe and Grazio Forgione, or Forgione, uh, in a small farming town in Pietrel, Pietrelcina, Italy. Petralcina, Italy. God, I'm so bad at Italian, apparently. I'm I'm sorry. I know I have a lot of Italian listeners, and I apologize immensely. And he was born on May 25th, 1887. You know, his parents were peasant farmers. Although the family lacked any kind of material wealth, they were rich in their faith and their love for God. So as a young boy, Francesco, he was baptized and served as an altar boy in the Santa Ana Chapel. He said at the age of five, he had already made the decision to dedicate his life to God. He began taking penances and was once scolded by his mother for sleeping on a stone floor and using a stone as a pillow. That's how serious this dude was, okay? This is all before the, that was all before the age of 10. Francesco worked in the fields tending to his flock of sheep so this delayed his education for for quite for quite some time now the town that he was from they celebrated feast days of saints throughout the year and the family was deeply devout in their religion so they attended every time there was a celebration they also attended daily mass and prayed the rosary nightly 
his mother claimed that he was able to see and speak to Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and his guardian angels. Father Agostino de San Marco was Francesco's spiritual director. He said that Francesco suffered a number of illnesses. At age six, he suffered from gastrointestinal problems, which left him uh, bedridden for for quite a while. At the age of 10, he caught typhoid fever. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. As an adolescent, as a kid, Francesco claimed that he experienced heavenly visions and ecstasies. In 1897, after completing three years at public school, Francesco uh, was drawn to the life of a friar. A young Capuchin friar, Capuchin, I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce a lot of these religious terms, okay. Um, (laughs) It happened to be in his area seeking donations. Now, after hearing the friar speak, it was then that Francesco decided to live the friar life. So he conveyed his aspirations to his parents. So they made a trip to Marcone to see if their son was eligible to enter the the order, the order of the friars. Now, the friars were interested in accepting Francesco, but they felt he should become better educated. So, on September 27th, 1899, Francesco received the Sacrament of Confirmation. He took private tutoring lessons and passed the required academics. At the age of 15, on January 6th, 1903, he entered the friar's order at Marcone. Okay, on January 22nd, he took the Franciscan habit and the name of Friar Pio in honor of Pope St. Pius I. Uh, he took the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Following his seven-year study for the priesthood, he traveled to the friary of St. Francis Assisi, At 17 years old, he suddenly became ill, complaining of a loss of appetite. He had frequent vomiting, exhaustion, insomnia, migraines. He had fainting spells. It was at this time that unexplainable phenomenon began to occur, okay? During his prayers, Pio would appear to be in a a stupor as though he was absent. Now, a fellow friar claimed that he saw Pio in ecstasy. Uh, levitating above the ground. Now, Pio's health began to worsen in June of 1905, so it it was to the extent that his superiors sent him to a mountain convent, uh, and they did that in the hopes that the mountain air would do him some good, you know, kind of help freshen him up a little bit, but his health saw no improvement, so doctors advised him to return home. Pio was ordained as a priest in 1910 by Archbishop Paolo Shinosi at the Cathedral of Benevento, and four days later he offered his first Mass at the parish church of Our Lady of the Angels. Now, when World War I started, there were four friars chosen for military service. On November 15, 1915, he was drafted into the Italian Army. He was assigned to the 10th Medical Corps in Naples. He was continually discharged and recalled due to poor health, and on March 16, 1918, he became unfit for military service and was once and for all discharged. Like, they tried discharging this dude a lot of times. Alright, so here's where it starts getting really interesting, okay? While hearing confessions on September 20, 1918, Pio experienced his first occurrence of stigmata. He experienced bodily marks, pains, and bleeding in areas corresponding to the crucifixion wounds of Christ. The phenomenon continued for 50 years up until the time of his death. The blood seeping from his wounds was said to have smelled like perfume, the odor of sanctity. Now, Pio said he would rather have suffered in private, but in early 1919, the news of the stigmatic friar began coming out. It started spreading everywhere. So after World War I, people began to see Pio as a symbol of hope. Now, Pio also began to manifest various spiritual gifts, such as uh, healing, prophecy, levitation, bilocation, and the abstinence from both food and sleep. Now, one account by Padre Agostino 
stated that Pio was able to survive for 20 days on only Eucharist. Pio was also able to read hearts. He had the gift of tongues and the gift of conversations. I mean, hell, I got a gift of conversations. Come on now. Pio's stigmata was considered as evidence of holiness. Physicians came to examine Pio, but were unable to explain how or what caused his wounds. They also found that the wounds never became infected. He was examined by a chief physician, a private practitioner, a professor and physician to Pope Benedict, as well as a pathologist. Physicians would comment on how peculiar it was that the edges of his wounds were unusually smooth and that there was a lack of uh, edema. The doctor took x-rays of Pio's hands and found no defect whatsoever in the bone structure. It was stated that Pio was embarrassed of his stigmata. Some photographs show Pio wearing uh, red mittens to conceal the wounds on his hands, too. Now, at the time of Pio's death, his wounds seemed to heal and show no signs of scarring. Now, it was reported that doctors examined his body and found it to be empty of any blood whatsoever. You know, I was going to drop an F-bomb. I'm not even a religious guy. Just for the record, I am not even a Christian. But I still find this extremely fascinating because, I mean, let's let's face it, we can all believe what we want, but there ain't a single one of us walking this earth right now that knows what the hell's going on after we die, okay? So I have no problem with various religions. Personally, I'm not a Christian, not a Catholic, but this is still extremely fascinating and there's a lot of aspects of this that cannot be explained, all right? So that was the first case that I'm presenting to you. The second one is actually a female case, and it's a woman named Gemma Galgani. Maria Gemma Umberta Galgani was an Italian Catholic mystic. Now, she was revered as a saint in the Roman Catholic Church since 1940. She was called the Daughter of Passion because of her extreme emulation of the Passion of the Christ. Now, at a young age, Gemma developed a love for prayer. She was quiet, she was very reserved, but she always had a smile for everybody. And to be honest with you, it's my favorite kind of person right there. Always had a smile for everybody. A little bit of her early life here. Gemma Galgani was born on March 12th, 1878 in a small village of <laughs> Camigliano. I think I pronounced that word, word right. Camigliano in Italy and was the fifth of eight children. Now her parents were traditional Catholics as well. Gemma gained an intense love for prayer at a very young age. Uh, her mother was very devout and taught her the truths of the Roman Catholic faith. Now, when Gemma was very young, her mother was stricken with tuberculosis. And in September of 1885, Gemma's mother did pass away from the illness. Uh, later, she was sent to a Catholic boarding school. She excelled in things such as French, arithmetic, and music. Gemma even won the Great Gold Prize for Religious Knowledge. One of her teachers spoke of her saying, quote, Gemma was the soul of the school, end quote. At age nine, Gemma was allowed her first communion, which was the earliest a child is allowed to take communion. She went to her local convent every day for 10 days to prepare for her communion, right? And on June 20th, 1887, Gemma took the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. At 19 years old, her father died. So Gemma became the mother to her seven siblings with the help from her Aunt Carolina. After declining two marriage proposals, Gemma went to become a housekeeper for the Giannini family. Gemma always had a love for the poor and always did what she could to help. When she could, she would give them things from her home. Uh, she, being poor herself, she always gave the poor the gift of friendship. Uh, she would cry. She would sit and cry over their misfortunes, you know, and she, and she didn't care about her own misfortunes. She literally just cared about these other people more than herself. At age 20, Gemma became ill with spinal meningitis, which left her deaf. She suffered paralysis of her limbs and large abscesses that formed on her head. 
Now, a doctor was called in. Now, he tried a lot of treatments. They all failed, and Gemma just kept getting worse. Throughout the entire ordeal, it was later said by Gemma that her only regret was the trouble she caused those caring for her. <laughs> like, seriously, how selfless can you be? She literally is sick with spinal meningitis. She has paralysis of all her limbs. She has abscesses like formed on her head. And all she cares about is that she's troubling the people that are caring for her. Now, after a year of being ill and she almost died, she began a devotion and prayed for help uh, to Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows. A novena, which is a form of worship consisting of special prayers services on nine successive days, this was began as a cure because they didn't, they couldn't figure anything else out. And at midnight on February 23rd, 1899, Gemma heard the rattling of a rosary. It was then that she saw that Gabriel had appeared to her. Gabriel told her to pray to the Sacred Heart of Jesus every evening and that he would come every night to pray with her until the novena was over. Now on the first Friday of March when the novena ended, the grace was granted to Gemma and through this divine intervention she was miraculously healed. In a vision that Gemma had of Gabriel, she gave the badge of the Passionists to her. She spoke of her desire to join a convent and become a nun. Gabriel told her that was not in the plans for her. And Gemma did come to live the life of a nun, but she never actually joined a convent. The thing about it was, was Gemma was rejected as a nun because of her fragile health. She, you know, she was very fragile, very unhealthy, and the convent did end up rejecting her. On June 8th, 1899, at the age of 21, Gemma began to show signs of the stigmata. She received the Holy Christ wounds on the eve of the Feast of the Sacred Heart. She claimed she had spoken to the Virgin Mary that night. Mary told her that Jesus loved her beyond measure and wished to grant her a grace given by him. It was then that Jesus appeared to Gemma with the wounds. It was then that Jesus appeared to Gemma with his wounds open but with no blood. Instead, fire was coming out of his wounds. This fire began to touch her hands and feet. She experienced great pains in her hands, feet, and heart. She then became aware that there were wounds and blood pouring from them. Now, her testimony stated that she received many special graces, you know, mystical experiences, the prophetic messages from the saints about current and future events. Now, Gemma had reported a lot of times to be found in ecstasy and in levitation, just like Padre Pio. These experiences were misunderstood by some, which caused her a lot of ridicule. Gemma was often scorned by members of the church's hierarchy. Now, her own confessor sometimes was skeptical of her mystical abilities. All right, after a careful and in-depth examination, Gemma's spiritual director became fully convinced of the validity of her mystical life. But the doctor who had seen Gemma considered her stigmata wounds to be the manifestation of a disease or the delusions of an overly reverent soul. Gemma's stigmata lasted up until the last three years of her life. Her spiritual director told Gemma to, like, quit being so open to receiving these wounds. Like, try to close it off. You cannot be open to this. Now, through the prayers, the stigmata did cease, although the scars remained until her death. In 1902, Gemma offered herself to God as sacrifice for the salvation of souls. God accepted her offer. She then became extremely ill. Gemma was diagnosed with tuberculosis, from which she had, she had suffered greatly, okay, in her life from this. You know, you know, her mom passed away from it. Um, during this time, Gemma claimed that the devil continuously attacked her, sending terrible apparitions to, you know, just scare the holy shit out of her. She stated that the devil would taunt her, saying that God had abandoned her. 
she still continued to pray and call on the holy names of Jesus and Mary. This whole time that this is going on, Gemma never once complained. She just prayed. Never complained. On Saturday, April 11, 1903, at the age of 25 years old, Gemma Galgani passed away. In her last words, she said, quote, I seek for nothing more. I have made the sacrifice of everything and of everyone to God. Now I prepare to die. It is indeed true that nothing more remains for me. I commend my soul to thee, Jesus. End quote. The parish priest that sat by her side when she died had this to say about it. Quote, I have been present at many deathbeds, but never have I seen anyone die like Gemma, without even a precursor, a sigh, nor a tear, nor a panting breath. She died with a smile, which remained upon her lips, so that I could not convince myself that she was really dead. End quote. The canonization began, uh, you know, the church authorities began to investigate Gemma's life in 1917. Gemma Galgani was officially canonized on May 22, 1940. In spite of everything that happened to Gemma, she understood the true joy of her way of life. Seriously interesting, right? So with that, let's get into... A few of these theories here. Alright everybody, now it's time to hear a word from our sponsor, which is Shudder.com. Shudder is from AMC Networks. It is a premium streaming video service, super serving fans of all degrees with the best selection of horror and thrillers. Shudder's irrepressible and thriving community revels in all things provocative, evocative, and dangerous. From bantering with Shudder on social media, which I personally have done, and contributing fantastic irreverent reviews to relish in member-only perks such as exclusive releases and VIP movie screenings, Shudder believes there is safety in numbers. Don't be left alone in the dark. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense movies, TV shows, everything in between, for only $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year, Shudder has the largest, fastest growing human curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment, and it is literally known as the Netflix of horror. And this personally is why I love Shudder. I've been a member since day one. Uh, a lot of my listeners have subscribed to it because they love it. There are spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, edge-of-your-seat suspense added every single week. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices. Shudder is a unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, you know, the old slasher flicks, and blockbuster hits as well. You can stream this on pretty much anything. iPad, iPhone, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Google, Google Chromecast, Roku, Andrew, Android devices. I'm an old school Android guy. I'm Android for life. And you can guarantee I got the app. It's super easy to get on there. It's absolutely awesome. Now here's some stuff that is currently available. You got Creep Show, which is a Shutter original. You got Tigers Are Not Afraid, which is a Shudder exclusive. One Cut of the Dead, a Shudder exclusive. You got Horror Noir, which is a Shudder original documentary on horror. You got Lizzie, which is a Shudder exclusive. You got Mandy, which is an old school sh show starring Nicolas Cage. I mean, you got collections like Vengeance Is Hers, Dario Argento, horror comedies, classic slashers, like I said earlier. You got exclusives, personally. The one that I really, really enjoyed was Tigers Are Not Afraid. You have to see this, man. It is so good. And of course, I'm a huge fan of The Discovery of Witches. Awesome, awesome show. You know, you can get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content. Shudder's expertly curated collection titles include The Creepshow series is produced by Greg Nicotero. You know, it's based on the famous films by George Romero. You got 
you know, an extensive international library as well. You got a bunch of different genres. You got all types of movies. Like I said, old classics to modern favorites. Get started streaming this today. And to try Shudder for 30 days, go to Shudder.com. Use promo code MCPODCAST. Now that's Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. Put in the promo code MCPODCAST. Get 30 days for free. You can thank me later. Like I said, you won't be disappointed if you're into horror movies, suspense movies, thrillers. They got all kinds of stuff. And like I said, you can try it for 30 days for free. Go to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R, and type in the promo code MCPODCAST and enjoy a month for free. And even after that month, feel free to subscribe because it's really not even that expensive either and it has so many horror movies. All kinds of stuff to check out. So, back to the show. Alright, here's a few main theories when it comes to stigmata. You know, supernatural, religious theories, medical theories, and psychological theories. Religious theories, a grace from God. The most common belief is that the reason for stigmata is so the saint or person experiencing this mystical experience may suffer in union with Christ for the salvation of sinners. Now, stigmatists make restitution for sin and do penance for those who do not. And through their suffering and unification with Christ, they lead souls to God. They take part in and live the passion of Christ, body and soul, for the conversion of sinners, right? They believe that God is causing these wounds supernaturally. However, stigmata goes against the nature of God as believed by religious persons. The atonement, Christ's death, and resurrection to pay the penalty would be worthless if humans were required to suffer the wounds of Christ all over again. Bible scripture says that Christ died once and for all. If the stigmata came from God, it would be unworthy of his wisdom to take part in such futility. There seems to be some controversy over the fact of stigmata appearing in the hands versus the wrists. It has been said that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was actually pierced through the wrists and not the hands. Science proves this due to the fact that had he been nailed to the cross through the hands, once the cross was raised, Jesus' hands would be ripped from the nails. This can also be seen by the, by the Shroud of Turin, that Jesus was pierced through the wrists. That begs the question, shouldn't genuine stigmata be seen in the wrists rather than the hands? Another totally contradictory thing, which is super interesting to me, is that the devil's the one actually doing it. Now, some religious theories suggest that the stigmata are deceptive wounds inflicted by Satan. Most Angelican Christians believe that the stigmata is what's referred to as demonic miracles. They say that Satan has the power to carry out miracles and that he does so in order to deceive. Their explanation, their explanation is that Satan is a liar. You know, he's quote unquote the father of lies and that he deceives to draw people away from God. In some cases of demonic possession, stigmata was present such as in the case of Annalise Michelle, which is the very famous case of demonic possession that the movie um, Exorcism of Emily Rose was based off of. And I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. That movie freaks me out because I don't care how you look at it. There are some things in that case that cannot be explained by science. All right, straight up. And that's me saying that. I'm a skeptic, okay? I'm a skeptic with an open mind. There's some weird stuff going on in that demonic possession case. So here's the mental psychological evaluation here. It's it's known as the Munchausen syndrome, or Munchausen syndrome. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. It's It's a mental disorder that has been used to theorize cases of stigmata. Now, the syndrome is a mental disorder in which a person fakes an illness or harms themselves to get attention or seek sympathy. 
Some believe that stigmatists are inflicting the wounds on themselves in order to get intention or admiration, and that, uh, you know, this may be an underlying factor in their actions. There have been many reported cases in which the stigmatist has inflicted the wounds themselves for attention. For example, one case involved a 16th century stigmatist who confessed to the faking of her stigmata. Another confessed to painting her wounds on her hands. Modern stigmatists have submitted themselves to being observed by skeptics. It was found that their wounds would only start to bleed after the person had been left alone. Pretty interesting, right? Another one, psychosomatics. Some psychologists and some Catholics alike have speculated that stigmata is nothing more than, psychos- than psychosomatics, also called psychogenic purpura. P-U-R-P-U-R-A, purpura. I'm the worst at pronouncing words, okay? I'm sorry. If a person has intense enough faith in their relationship with God and desires to have stigmata strongly enough, their body may react with physical symptoms. The wounds may be produced in a natural manner by the sole action of the imagination. And this is linked with exuberant, crazy emotions, all right? It is not, however, a plausible explanation for the wounds since there is no explanation for the imagination's ability to create great damage on the external body. Psychosomatics can be a practical explanation for those experience invisible or phantom stigmata. No explanation has been offered for three things presented by the stigmata when it comes to psychosomatics. They are, number one, Physicians have no success in curing stigmata wounds. 2. Unlike natural wounds, stigmatic wounds do not produce a foul odor. 3. The wounds give off the odor of perfume. And number 4. The wounds do not become infected. Okay, so those that should be known. Next theory is trance states. It's believed by some that stigmatists are able to put themselves in a trance or altered state of consciousness to produce their wounds by programming their subconscious mind with the intention of creating wounds, therefore inducing seemingly spontaneous wounds. Now, trance states can be achieved by pretty much anyone. It is defined as a state of mind in which a person is not fully awake but they're not fully asleep and it is it's a very it's a very natural occurrence actually it's very natural when an individual begins to fall into a trance state the conscious mind sinks into the background while the subconscious mind moves to the forefront the subconscious mind is a very very powerful tool and with intention can manifest things we might not believe to be conceivable The theory on stigmata wounds appearing due to the experiencer manifesting these wounds through trance states closely mirrors the theory for psychosomatics. In most all stigmata cases, okay, in almost all of them, the individual experiencing the stigmata were reported to be able to go into trance states. Now, hypnosis can be another theory because hypnosis leads to various levels of hypnosis trance states. One example of a trance state case was the case of an Italian woman named Domenica Lobianco, who began to show signs of the stigmata on Good Friday. An Italian psychotherapist named Dr. Marco Margnelli reportedly video recorded Lobianco in a lab as she revisited one incident of her stigmata under hypnosis. Now, according to Margnelli, marks materialized spontaneously on the subject's arm as she was recorded. This shows that the power of suggestion can be pretty powerful. I have found that there are numerous other cases where doctors have used auto-suggestion to explain stigmata as well. Now, here's a little bit of other stuff to, to consider as well. Many reported stigmatists are found to be physically weak and chronically ill prior to receiving the stigmata. Many also show reluctance to eat or drink as well. 
There have been scientific studies that link anorexia and self-mutilation. There has been speculation as to whether stigmata is actually due to this fact right here. Another theory could be that an individual would inflict wounds on him or herself while in a state of religious ecstasy and have no recollection of it afterward. The failure to recollect a self-infliction could also occur if an alternate personality temporarily quote-unquote took over and created the stigmata wounds. So that is also a very interesting theory. Now, I'm going to revisit the, the, the Padre Pio thing and bring up a few facts, okay? There's a couple really good articles. One was done by the Independent UK. It describes, it was written in 2007, and it mentions a lot about Pio being a fraud, okay? It says, uh, Two successive popes regarded Padre Pio as a fraud. By 1920, when Pio was 33 and, and was already exhibiting the scars before masses of pilgrims, the church was worried that this cult was spinning out of control. They literally considered Padre Pio's followers a cult to some level. Now, reports commissioned by the church claimed Pio regularly scourged himself with a metal-tipped whip and had sex with women twice a week. The weird part is that Pio was banned from celebrating Mass in public. He was not allowed to. One particular concern to the church were the ugly weeping wounds which Pio concealed under those fingerless gloves that we were talking about, the red mittens. The friar claimed that he had received the stigmata of Christ, you know, the wounds to his hand, feet, and side, you know, those suffered by Christ during his crucifixion, and he said he experienced them at the culmination of a mystical seizure. Now, the thing, the, the odd thing about this is, okay, a doctor sent by the Vatican to examine them concluded that the wounds were probably caused and maintained artificially. To test the hypothesis, he bound the wounds and sealed the bandage to prevent it being tampered with. But on examination a month later, the doctor was surprised to find the wound's head failed to heal. A dude named Mr. Luzado claims to have unearthed all these documents, you know, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the friar was pretty much a trickster. In the summer of 1919, the 28-year-old cousin of a pharmacist in the southern city of Foggia, deeply religious young woman called Maria DeVito, made the pilgrimage to Pio's church, which was San Giovanni. The pharmacist told his local bishop, Mr. Salvatore Bella, quote, When she returned to Foggia, she brought me the greetings of Padre Pio and asked me in his name and in strict secrecy for carbolic acid, telling me that Padre Pio had need of it and giving me the little bottle he had given to her, which was a hundred gram capacity. So the pharmacist jumped to what you know, Mr. Luzado believes is the right conclusion, which was, uh, Mr. Luzado says that my thought was that the carbolic acid could be used by Padre Pio to procure, basically just further irritate wounds on his hands. Mr. Luzado cites the note written by Pio to to the young woman, okay, the, the Maria DeVito. Now, this is from Pio to her. This is a, is a note. And it said, uh, though much more neatly, than his normal hand. Invoking the blessings of Jesus, Pio writes badly, quote, I am in need of 200 grams or 300 grams of carbolic acid for sterilizing. I pray you to send it to me on Sunday, end quote. According to Mr. Lozado, this is like the smoking gun for the fraud. Now, if he had really needed the acid for sterilizing purposes, you know, he says, why did he proceed in such an oblique manner? And that's a direct quote. And that's, you know, that's this thing, though. Why was he doing this in secrecy? Why was he passing notes? Why was he saying to make sure you don't tell anybody? But on the flip side of that, that also does not explain a lot of the people around him. Now, that could explain Padre Pio being a total and absolute fraud, but what about all the people around him? Well, the Irish Times did an article just last year about Padre Pio because he's a big 
apparently a big figure in Ireland. I had no idea. Padre Pio was banned from a lot of things when he was alive. There was a local bishop, bishop that believed his Capuchin community were using Padre Pio for financial gain. Now, the papacy established many investigations and banned Pio from hearing confessions, from saying mass in public. He was not allowed to bless people. He was not allowed to respond to letters. And he was not allowed to display his stigmata publicly, which is why he had to wear those red mittens. That was not Padre Pio's thing. That was an order from the local bishop that was over that, you know, whatever friar order that Padre Pio was in. But that didn't stop anything, okay? Paul VI, who became Pope in 1963, he dismissed all accusations against Padre Pio. Now, Padre Pio died in 1968, okay? In 1978, Pope John Paul II, he had actually visited Padre Pio when he was a young priest, when he was studying in Rome, and he began the canonization process uh, that saw him proclaimed Saint Padre Pio in 2002. It's also really weird. It's hard to believe that he performed the miracles and actually cured people of their diseases, right? But almost all the testimonies of those who were convinced he cured them or their loved ones, they've all been documented. It's, it's really weird because, the, you know, the final analysis basically of this Irish Times article is super interesting. It's a small article though. Is here's the deal. It straight up says, it, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to what your personal belief system is. Because people outside of the Christian faith do not have or do not experience any documented cases of stigmata. You know, it's just like saying, if you believe, if you're a Christian and you believe in God, then you might go to heaven and hell, depending on what you believe in. You know, if you're a spiritual person like myself, you know, you might go to, you know, Summerland. You might be reincarnated. And in all honesty, like, that's the whole thing with religion for me. I don't really care what people are. And I've said it, you know, in the middle of the episode as well. Like, I'm not a Christian guy. Does that mean that I think all Christians are bad or judgmental or anything like that? No, of course not. You can't take one person out of a, out of an entire demographic of people and you literally just paint this huge brush and say, oh, they're all full of shit. You know, you, you can't do that. You're basically doing the same thing to them that you're accusing them of doing to other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, if you think about it, because I think most people, no matter what you believe in, whether you're a spiritual, whether, whether you're, you know, a witch, whether you worship the earth, you're a naturalist, whether you, you know, believe in reincarnation, anybody with some kind of basis for their belief system wants to believe that good people are rewarded in the next life or when they go to the next level, whatever the case might be. And that bad people does, are going to get punished because it's, it's the balance, you know, it's what seems right. It's what seems fair. It's, it's the only thing to us that makes sense. And like I said, say it again, you know, I'm not a Christian. Do I think that their belief system is stupid? No, I don't. It's one of those things where it really does, like especially, you know, with religion and stigmata, it's it's a personal belief thing. And, you know, if you're not in that personal structure, if you're not within that belief system, then yeah, you're probably not going to believe in this stuff. Does that mean it's wrong? No, it absolutely not. All right. Like I said, there's there was two stated occurrences here. What you believe is up to you. What you don't believe is also up to you that doesn't give you the right to say something else is ridiculous because if you believe in absolutely nothing you know what some people think that's ridiculous too displaced energy has to go somewhere after it's gone so you know does it go back to the universe does it go to another dimension does it go here does it go there there is not one single person walking this earth that knows what is going to happen when you die whether you believe somebody else is right or whether you believe somebody else is wrong, you don't know. 
So in closing, spread the love, be kind, quit judging people for their beliefs. And I hope you enjoy the stigmata episode. It was super interesting for me. If anything else, I mean, Gemma over here, you know, the, the, the 25 year old, I mean, if anything else, she was a great woman. She was extremely selfless. How can you not respect that? You know what I mean? So if anything else, hopefully you found it interesting and informative. And with that being said, I got some reviews uh, going on at the end of this. Now, <laughs> these reviews were done live in the Facebook group while I was at uh, a place called Hunt's Tavern, a buddy of mine's. And uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of background noise. There's a little bit of peanut gallery booing when I read one-star reviews. I uh, hope you guys enjoy that. And thanks very much. And I'll see you on the flip side. And we're going to start off with some reviews here. First one is from UK. It's Keith YM, five stars, MC Nation. Great podcast done with top-notch research that's presented in a nice formal manner. It is less than being lectured and more akin to listening to someone holding court in the pub, which is where we are right now. I'll drink to that. Hill to the yeah. <laughs> says, whilst telling unbelievably cool stories, Justin's approach to the cases, and indeed the whole podcast, is to present you the facts, enabling you to come to your own conclusions without getting um, mired down with the usual conjecture pushed by many other shows of this nature. The cases he tackled in lesser known ones, which is also refreshing change in the oversaturated genre. Keep up the good work, brother. And the genre is very oversaturated. What do you think, Boone? <laughs> Touche. Yeah. For those of you who don't know Boone, you haven't been around long enough, so. Cheers again, right? It's true. Oh, one of the latest ones. It's a one star. Here we go. Yeah. Alright. Pizza's here. Just got a pizza delivered, so that's cool. Says SES62, one star, first and last time listener. Well, <laughs> I got through 13 minutes of the Burger Chef murder episode and was and uh, had heard enough. The constant unnecessary foul language ruins the show and is too much for me. Get me wrong, I've been in public safety for 37 years, and I've heard it all before. But for a show that is supposed to be professional, it's just too much. So, delete. Hey, here's the deal, I never claimed to be professional one time. So... You know, there's that. And second, like, public safety for years, you think they were, like, a lifeguard? <laughs> or, like, a mall cop? Oh, my God. Is this Blart right now? Uh, I'm thinking so. <laughs> SES 62. It's uh, pretty fucking sad. Because here's the deal. I have warning labels everywhere, along with audio at the beginning of episodes that do state that uh, it's got explicit language, man. So here's my thing. Like, I understand that in your 37 years of public safety, you have avoided, you know, natural selection. <laughs> so hopefully one day you don't eat fucking rat poison thinking it was aspirin because you can't read fucking labels. And don't go to a comedy show that says... You will be offended or something. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous as shit, man. I'll follow that up with uh, saying... Excuse fucking me. Excuse the fuck out of me. Exactly. All right, so, oh, man, got some Toby Keith playing right now. That's right. I'm cool with that. Murder. And, uh, let's see. <laughs> I don't need, what'd you say? I said America. America. Damn right. Those that can't hear. Right there. American flag. That's right there. All right, so now we got five stars from Tia Tori. Henry McCabe says, first time listener, your podcast is good. I mean, really good. Your response to a listener was timely and funny as hell. Let him have it. It's kind of fun sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, next one's Rebecca H through five stars. Keeps getting better. I listen to a ton of true crime, but enjoy this because it's cases I've never heard of or don't know much about. Best of luck. And then they put a little shamrock emoji right there. Ooh, Irish. I'm fucking cool with that. I'll drink to that. All right, next one we got is Clinic Dave. Five stars, love it. First of all, 
I love Justin, and the podcast is never disappointed. His voice is calming. The material is always good. You can tell he does his research. I also enjoy that fact that it sounds like I'm listening to a conversation as opposed to an act like some shows I've listened to. Highly recommend. Touche. His beard looks right now, by the way, too. Not his hair. Mm -mm. Take off fucking hat. Look at this shit. Please don't. He's, got, he's growing a fucking mullet. Gross. <laughs> he's growing a fucking mullet. <laughs> so fucking great. Put your hat back on. <laughs> oh no, we're keeping it off. Oh my god, babe. We'll, we'll let it. It's like flames coming out <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, next one. Five stars. Here we go. Or one star. <laughs> All right. Next one is one star, RLS, 1968-0110. One star says cursing to a nauseous extent. What the fuck? I disagree. Do you really feel the need to swear as much as you do? I wanted to get into this show, but maybe you should find a better format, a better hobby, or a new job, or just everything you're doing as long as it relates to podcasting. <laughs> find a 12-step program because 13 stars ain't working for you, bub. Swear to God, that's what it says. And like I said before, you know, 13 Stars Media has absolutely nothing to do with uh, with that. It has everything to do with spirituality and the significance of the number 13. So, we have that. And, uh, what? You just say it. Oh. It's because he oh. fucking is sitting so far away from me. No, you didn't interrupt. This fucking guy is scared of me. <laughs> well, you cuss too much. I cuss, it's, if you I didn't swear, This person actually left a five-star review on a podcast that swears more than mine. Get the fuck so, out. So. Get the fuck out. You can fucking hate me all you uh, want. I got a good job. I got plenty of fucking hobbies. You can literally go fuck yourself. And, you know, like I said, and actually, as of last week, 13 Stars Media... The, the company that I fucking do own is international now. There you go. So, apparently my hobby is doing pretty fucking good, okay? Yeah, it's not like you're, uh... Yeah. You're not it doing is, this for a living. It's literally an it's international company now, yeah. You love what you do. Yeah, it's fun. It's good times. Billy See, motherfucking You literally us. just got a round of applause back there. <laughs> Which This one... Agreeable. Is a very, very good one, too. This is a one-star review from a guy whose fucking name, I shit you not, is Spock Jockey. Wait. <laughs> Wait. Spock fucking Jockey. Okay. Spock Jockey? Spock Jockey. Yeah. There's so many jokes right there. Go on. <laughs> I can keep... Oh, I got, I got a few. <laughs> it says, for the life of me, I couldn't do it. I don't even know where to begin on this one. It's really unsettling when the host just riffs constantly and you can hear the audible, audibly think, um, um, awkward silence. I just can't deal with that. And it sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about. At times he sounds drunk or on some sort of drugs or combination of the two. Maybe write a script. Maybe have someone proofread or shadow your work because you send it off to the, before you send it off to the internet. Maybe talk to a substance abuse counselor. <laughs> okay, don't shake the table. Cause okay. Okay. So, <laughs> maybe talk to a substance abuse counselor. Because whatever it is you're doing that sounds like an audible train wreck waiting to happen with the conductor drunk at the controls. <laughs> Fucking wow. You know what the best part about this shit is? Oh. Yeah, so the best part about this is, okay, my friend Heather in, in the group, she's straight the fuck up. You can Google search this username, okay, and I swear to fucking God, dude, swear to God, on Plenty of Fish, this guy's username is fucking nah. Spock Jockey. Get the fuck out. Swear it, dude, you can look dude, it up. Dude, get the fuck I out. I swear it. Here's the deal, okay, ladies, I'm not bashing any Star Trek fans right now, but I will say this. If you fucking pick up on somebody named Spock Jockey on Plenty of Fish, there's a 99 fucking percent chance you're going to wind up in his mom's fucking basement, in a cage possibly, 
and later in a freezer, the whole time you're probably going to be watching him masturbate to Star Trek reruns. There's a good fucking chance. And then you're going to end up skinned alive. That's how fucking well this person is, you know. I, dude, I got nothing. For th- I got nothing. Substance abuse counselor, my fucking ass. Get the fuck out. <laughs> fuck out of here. I love it. It's like it's an audible train wreck. Like, get the fuck out. All right, next one is from uh, Leah May. I believe that's how you pronounce it. L-E-A-M-A-E. Five stars says sweet. Love the show. Simple and to the point. I fucking respect that. I love it. Thank you. Next one is from Micah plus 13. It says five stars. says Tina. says Justin Rocks. Fucking straight to the point. Love that again. Now, I'm not 100% sure if I read this one on a previous episode or not. The next two. This one says, I wanted so badly to give you one star just to hear you shred it, but I can't. I love this podcast. It's like uh, sitting around on a summer night, listening to people just chill and talk about everything. I know some people lose their religion over the cursing, but oh my geez, people. If this offends you, I kind of wonder about your intelligence. (laughs) Love the podcast. Keep up the excellent... Anyway, Snowpenny. They're making robots. And we can't even record something right now. I know, dude. Fucking AI and Elon Musk scared the fuck out of me, man. Do not it gives even... me such bad anxiety, man. We won't get started on that such yet. Such bad anxiety. That's, an- <laughs> That's another episode. <laughs> so fucking scary, dude. <laughs> All right, next one's five stars. Snow Penny says, "Oh, and by the way, that uh, last one was from uh, Danny Fair. Thank you, Danny Fair." This one's from Snowpenny, five stars, love your podcast. Your podcast has always been on my must-listen-to list. Very good episodes. I appreciate all the work, researching, etc. Put into making them. And, um, yeah, it does. It does span a very wide audience. And uh, Henry McCabe, yeah, that was a fucking crazy episode. Um, And, yeah, I'll, I'll find you a case in New Jersey. And that is all we have for reviews right now.